2: Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 544 of Locked on Raptors for Thursday, July 4th. Happy 4th of July to all the American listeners out there. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked on Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And, of course... Please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. If you are a fan of a team that did some crazy stuff during free agency, please tune into the corresponding Locked On show and get the local perspective on all that went down. And if you find a show in the network that you want to support, please subscribe, rate, review, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Himalaya, wherever you get your podcasts, it's deeply appreciated. If you leave that little kernel of support that costs absolutely $0 to leave behind. All right. On today's show, speaking of teams that did wild stuff in free agency, the Philadelphia 76ers come to mind. They did a lot. They brought in Al Horford, they brought in Josh Richardson, they lost Jimmy Butler, and have kind of reshaped their team, but still, I think, sit as one of the two or three best teams in the Eastern Conference, even after all of the movement. And with the dust settled, I wanted to try to go through and talk to people covering all the teams in the Eastern Conference About their move, so I thought this would be a good way to sort of break up the Kawhi Leonard watch. We will get back to Kawhi stuff obviously when there's stuff to report. Right now, it's all just rampant speculation, it's been insane today. The speculation, so we're going to leave that behind for a day and begin our tour around the Eastern Conference to learn about what happened and talk about how each team that presumably will be up against the Raptors near the top of the Eastern Conference, whether Kawhi Leonard stays or not next season looks after the offseason dust has settled and joining me first to talk about those Philadelphia 76ers is a returning guest he joined us during the playoffs you know him as at Sixers Adam on Twitter it's Adam Aronson for Liberty Ballers Adam how are you man
3: I'm doing well thanks for having me
2: I'm uh, very happy to have you and uh, I'm fascinated by the Sixers team man I guess we can start big and then we can go down smaller from there Pretty whirlwind, like, 12 hours for the Sixers with Jimmy Butler and the bizarre sign-and-trade that maybe was going to happen. Then the Mavericks screwed it up, and then it eventually happened with, like, a four-teamer getting completed. Josh Richardson comes to the Sixers as Jimmy Butler goes to the Miami Heat. Al Horford then, the the mystery team, like, saga around Al Horford is settled, and it is the Philadelphia 76ers who land his services. And now they're sitting with the starting five after J.J. Redick also departs for New Orleans of Ben Simmons to go along with Richardson, Tobias Harris, who they bring back on a five-year $180 million deal. We'll get into that as well. Al Horford at the four and then Joel Embiid at center. They bring back Mike Scott and James Ennis on the bench. They sign Raul Neto and lose TJ McConnell to the Indiana Pacers to be their, I guess, backup point guard or third-string point guard. Whew, lots of stuff happened, and it's a lot of turnover, and for a team as like, I guess, they're, it's like a headline team, right? It's a team people care about, and it's a team that has high expectations, has an amazing player in Joel Embiid, could have maybe won a title this season if a thing goes differently. A lot of change that you would not typically associate with that kind of team. So Adam, let me ask you first off, how do you feel about the moves? Are you concerned? Are you happy? Are you just glad they got something for Jimmy Butler? Like, How are you and Sixers fans at large kind of feeling in the wake of all of this sort of roster turnover in the last few days?
3: So going into free agency uh, with Jimmy Butler, uh, I, my opinion was, you know, you got to do whatever you can to, to max him, bring him back. Uh, I didn't think they were going to be able to lose him and not become like a significantly worse team. After what he did for them in the playoffs, he was really, I mean, Brett Brown called him the adult in the room, and that's really what he was. He was kind of a calming presence. You knew you could give him the ball, and he would at least get a good shot. Uh, But if you told me that Jimmy Butler had his mind made up that he was leaving, I think the Sixers did a pretty good job salvaging the situation to get a player as good as Josh Richardson on a great contract who can still get better, uh, all-around player who, who can help fill a lot of holes that this team needs to get him for a guy who was on his way out is a big win. Uh, Al Horford, I have some concerns about. You know, he's a 33-year-old, he's had some knee issues recently, but he's such a good and versatile player that it's hard to imagine that it'll be anything other than a positive to have him on the team. Uh, so, while I, still, I have some concerns, which I'm sure we're going to get into, mm-hmm. uh, I think all in all, the, the front office did a pretty good job of handling it.
2: Yeah, we'll get to the The bonuses of having Al Horford on the team, I think there are a lot of good things that he's going to bring, not just as an individual player, but as a way to sort of alleviate the load elsewhere in the front court. I'm looking at you, Joel Embiid, um, and your wobbly knees. But let's stick on the Butler thing for a second. So the Butler trade goes down early in the season. They trade Covington and Sarich, and it is sort of deemed the end of the process. And I guess you could sort of add the addendum of the Harris trade on the end of the process as well if you want to. But... The trade for Butler was very much an all-in move, and I think Sixers fans at the time were a little bit puzzled by it because it didn't really sort of display the patience that the Sixers have typically taken with this rebuild. Obviously, Elton Brand coming in, it's a brand new front office, replacing Brian Colangelo, who did his own thing as well. What's the legacy of the Butler trade going to be? Like, are the Sixers in a worse place now or a better place now? Or are they kind of the same just with different guys than they were when they had Covington and Sarge before the Butler thing went down. I mean, I guess the Harris thing comes into this as well, but Harris is going to be around long-term, so there's some more time to, I guess, see how that trade's going to work out with Shamit in particular, and I guess the unprotected pick for the Heat that's you know lingering out there with the Clippers as well looming there. Maybe that pick is not as valuable with Jimmy Butler on the Heat. Who knows? That There's so many things that go into play there, but the Butler trade in particular, will it be remembered as a good trade, I guess is the simple question I'm trying to ask in a very convoluted way.
3: So, I mean, if you look at it just literally, it was Robert Covington who has three years left on his contract at, I think, about $11 million a year, mm-hmm. a wonderful defender, also a good shooter, and Dario Saric, who everybody in Philly loves, is a flawed player, but everybody loves, for about 70 games of Jimmy Butler and an impressive playoff run, uh, which, I mean, Jimmy's playoffs were awesome, and, and as much as I love Robert Covington, he never would have been able to play like that in a big game. Uh, but, you know, there's also a way of looking at it where they traded Covington and Sarich for Josh Richardson and cap space that enabled them to sign Al Warford, mm-hmm. which is maybe a little bit generous to the front office to act as if there was foresight there because clearly when they traded for Jimmy Butler, the goal was to re-sign Jimmy Butler and have him near long term for the rest of his prime. Uh, but I don't think it'll be viewed as a di- like any sort of disaster uh, because they salvaged it pretty well to get Richardson, who is just a really good player. Uh, I think most people think he's better than Covington. I, I don't, even though it's very close. But, you know, to get a young player who's a great defender, can hit threes, it does provide a little bit of shot creation. And then Horford, who we'll talk about, who is just such a good player. Uh, I don't think it'll be viewed as a disaster, even if maybe it should be viewed as, you know, the team maybe accelerating their timeline when it was too soon. Mm.
2: I know, as a Raptors fan, I am relieved Jimmy Butler is no longer going to be on the Sixers because that dude was a boss in the playoffs, James Butler and all that. Um, like Going back and sort of reviewing the the playoff run and reviewing that series, it, it's, it's remarkable how just kick-ass Jimmy Butler was in that series and how the switch to have him sort of have the ball in his hands more often and stick Ben Simmons in the dunker spot while... I don't think would have been tenable long term. In that series, it was the right move for sure, and it really helped the Sixers unlock something. And in the games where they looked their best, uh, you know, Butler was incredible. I think he had almost had a triple double in one of the games. He, he was dishing. He was I maybe mean, he had a couple of massive threes as well. I think in that game two victory, he was great. And I think the Sixers are gonna miss that sort of just like. The dude ness of Jimmy Butler, if that, if there's 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 probably more yeah. eloqu- eloquent way to put it, but like that's uh, he brings that, and I like Josh Richardson a lot. I don't think he quite brings that. I think even over the course of the season, as a guy who was sort of the de facto point guard at times for the Heat, kind of lost that title over the course of the season, and they messed around with like Justice Winslow being the point guard, because I think Josh Richardson maybe left something to be desired there. Obviously, he's not going to be asked to be the go-to creation guy for the Sixers because Ben Simmons is there, but I, I don't know, do you worry about... so? Just like when I look at the Sixers team without Butler, I think it's a very good team, but we'll get to Horford and the reasons why I think that's a, an excellent signing. Even, like Maybe not for the fourth year of that deal, but for the next couple at least. But I, when I look at the Sixers, I feel less scared, if that makes sense. Do you... Think that's fair of me to to feel that way, or do you think just you have to like bake in some progression from Ben Simmons this coming season? You have to bake in some growth from Joel Embiid as well. And by the end of next season, we can't totally foresee the future, obviously. But with all of the different things that these moves are going to unlock for the Sixers, do you think there's a world in which the Sixers are a scarier team in the playoffs next year, even without Jimmy Butler?
3: uh scarier i'm not sure because i mean i've got like I, I took some notes before this and and under concerns the first one is shot creation you yep. know if, if, there's, if they're in a playoff game with four minutes left and the game is tied who are they going to on offense is it tobias harris is, mm-hmm. that, is that what the is that five years 180 million for is is to be their late game shot creator he did it for the clippers last year for about half the season maybe a little bit more uh, but you know are you trying to win a championship and, and you're banking on Tobias Harris that's uh, to to bank on him as your number one option late in a playoff game I think is a little risky um but I do think there's a world in which they're a better team mm-hmm. uh, just because they're I mean we saw they almost beat the Raptors just because they were so big I mean mm-hmm. they, Fred Van Vleet. look at what he did to the Warriors I think he only <laughs> scored 13 points in, this, in the entire seven games against the Sixers um and they, and they got bigger and more versatile and just better defensively, which I didn't even think was possible. You know, you go from Reddick and Butler to Richardson and Horford. Uh, Richardson probably is not a better defender than Butler when Butler is fully engaged, but it's a pretty slim margin. And, and Reddick is, you know, pretty hor- horrible defensively. And mm-hmm. Horford is one of the most versatile defensive big men that there is, if not the most. Uh, so I definitely don't think they'll be as scary offensively like. They might not have a guy where he brings up the ball and then the fans are like, oh, crap, we have to get a stop against this guy. Mm-hmm. But I do think they're going to be scary in that you might have trouble actually getting any baskets in crunch time against them.
1: If you travel, you know how to pull off a perfect getaway. You know after you enroll with your Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card, you get up to $10 back monthly on U.S. rideshare purchases with select providers, like a car to the airport. You know which remote retreats have the best herbal baths, and where the Wi-Fi password is rarely used. Because you're the escape artist. It's why you're a Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Purchases must be on card. Visit go.mx slash you know.
2: Yeah, like that's what the Raptors calling card was. And they have Kawhi, obviously, which is scary in its own right when he has the ball in his hands. But on defense, that's where they really sort of made their money. And I could see the Sixers team maybe not having the greatest offense in the world i mean i think it'll be good probably like flirt with top 10 but i can see this defense being really really special i mean if tobias harris is your worst defender in your starting five you're doing pretty okay And, and maybe there's some concern if he has to be the guy to sort of take on the wing assignments that jimmy butler would typically take on maybe you just defer those to josh richardson although maybe he doesn't have the height quite to deal with some of the bigger wings around the league but i still think if that's your worst defender Horford can help out there a little bit. You have him beat at the rim for help side defense and stuff like that, and he's so menacing back there. Like, this is going to be a monstrous team to score on, and I look forward to watching them play defense against teams that are not the Toronto Raptors, Uh, (laughs) because that's not going to be fun. That's going to be ugly. And I feel like if, like, the Raptors keep Kawhi and we see another series, like a Raptors 6 or 2nd round or something like that, again, it's going to be just as if not uglier (laughs) than it was this past season, and uh, I I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but I don't know. It's compelling as hell when it gets ugly, so I guess that's a good thing. Um, We'll get to Horford in a sec as well. Let's just stick with Harris for a second here. They signed him pretty much out of the gate to the 5-year 180. What were your thoughts on that? You know, I think a lot of people, I saw the term sunk cost fallacy thrown thrown around quite a bit. Obviously, they gave up a lot to get him, and he wasn't quite, I think, as advertised as Sort of the fifth guy in that offense. I mean, you could. I, I know he's probably more talented than J.J. Reddick, but Reddick was so important to what the Sixers did offensively that Harris was often relegated to just kind of standing at the corner. And uh, in the playoffs against the Raptors in particular, he missed from the corner quite a bit. I think he was 10 of 39 from three against the Raptors in the second round.
3: It was, and he was 2 of 13 from three in game four.
2: Yes, that was the big one. Um, so considering that, and in factoring the fact that his role this season will likely be something more like he played with the Clippers without Butler there he will probably have the ball in his hands a little bit more often as a pick and roll creator uh, I feel like they they could be kind of diverse in that way where they have Harris and Simmons and Butler, not Butler, Richardson all kind of trade blows there if they want to or you know when you're staggering lineups I think Harris is going to have the ball in his hands more often so factoring that in are you okay with the 5-year 180 does it give you pause how are you feeling about that deal
3: it definitely gives me pause just because, you know, they brought him in and he played a big 27 games and he just, like, was not that good. He was obviously a good player, dynamic offensively, who even when he's not necessarily playing well draws a lot of, you know, attention from the defense. But, I mean, in the Toronto series, it's only a seven-game sample size, but he shot below 40% from the field and below 30% from three. And, and now you're giving him five years, $180 million, and you're saying, late in a playoff game, you're getting the ball and go get a bucket. Mm-hmm. That's risky. He's a really good scorer, as he showed in, with the Clippers, and he even showed to some extent after the trade with the Sixers. Uh, but it is concerning, and I don't think he's a max player. I don't think he's the play- I don't think he's a player who's good enough to warrant five years, one eighty. But you know, on the on the other hand, if they didn't bring him back, they wouldn't have really had the capacity to bring in anybody better. Uh, so even though there are concerns, I think they had to just roll with it. You know, you could talk about. Some cost fallacy, and I think that definitely applies. You know, in the thought process of the Sixers, they don't—they don't want to be the team that traded Moondri Shannon and two valuable first-round picks and two rotation players for twenty-seven mediocre games of Tobias Harris and nothing more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do think that mattered to them. Uh, for me, you know, even though I do have concerns about how that contract is going to age, what if last season was somewhat of an aberration from him? Uh, I do think they were in a position where they had to give it to him.
2: Yeah, I think Harris is good. I think he, you know, it's probably not worth the 180, but I I agree. I don't really see what the avenue to improving that spot would have been had he left. And, you know, the Sixers, I mean, we're nitpicking with, like, probably if Kawhi doesn't come back, probably the best team in the East. I I mean, the Bucs, I I guess, are there. I think losing Brogdon is going to be really, really tough for them. And I don't trust Eric Bledsoe to pick up the, the, the slack there, but, you know, we're talking about one of the top two or three teams in the Eastern Conference at worst, regardless of what happens with Kawhi. So there's, yes, we're, 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 we're picking nits here, but this team can still make a finals, I think, the way they're constructed. And a big reason for that is Al Horford who is awesome, and now the Sixers are a Marcus All away from just having all of the players who guard Joel Embiid well on their team, which would be nice. Um, so, the, the Horford thing comes down. First of all, I guess, you know, your reaction when the news came down that, that Horford was signing, was it like a thrilling sort of like, hell yeah, Al Horford, baby, or was it like a puzzling thing? And then I guess... What do you think Al Horford's going to bring to the team? Because I I think there are a lot of benefits to having him on this roster, particularly as it pertains to load management for Joel Embiid. And we've talked about load management all year, whether it's going going to become like a norm around the league. I don't think it's going to, but I do think certain players will be smart to have their loads managed. And I think Joel Embiid is sort of the number one candidate. And I think Al Horford makes that possible next year. So yeah, just reaction to the deal and how you think it's going to help the Sixers.
3: Uh, so when J.J. Reddick signed with the Pelicans, you know, 6 o'clock Eastern, boom, I think it was the first signing that was reported at 6 o'clock, mm-hmm. uh, I knew at that point that either the Sixers were running it back, but without J.J. Reddick in order to duck the luxury tax, or they were doing what had, what a lot of people had rumored and speculated, which was, you let Butler walk, you let Reddick walk, bring back Harris, and you add out Horford. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I wasn't really shocked there's a level of shock always when a team when your team makes that big of a move Uh, and especially because it got reported I I think about five minutes after the Jimmy Butler sign and trade because those were kind of corresponding moves they wouldn't have had the spending power to get Horford if Jimmy Butler had stayed in the fold Um, but as for what he's gonna bring uh, I mean, we all know how good Al Horford is. How versatile he is as a player on on both ends of the floor. Defensively, he can guard wings. He can guard bigs. He's done that to Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid in the playoffs. Which I can't think of anybody else who has guarded both of those guys successfully. I'm not really sure who else can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, offensively, uh, maybe aside from Nikola Jokic, is the best passing big man in the NBA. Uh, great shooter. Sometimes is a little hard to shoot them, but. Um, and he's going to provide floor spacing that Ben Simmons really needs. Um, and and like you said with load management, you know, you could argue that for some guys it doesn't make sense to do the load management plan. For Joel Embiid, it definitely makes sense to do the load management plan. I'm not sure it makes more sense for anybody than for Joel Embiid. And, and essentially, Horford is the backup center. Mm-hmm. Um, and at all times, you're going to have either Joel Embiid or Al Horford uh, Manning the rim for the most part, you know Kyle O'Quinn, who they signed to a minimum, will play a little there. Maybe Jonah Bolden gets some run, but they can really do load management with Embiid and with Horford, who had some knee issues this year, and is 33; is not getting any younger. Uh, so I mean, those guys could easily both play, let's say, 65 games. And on a night where Embiid sits out, you can plug in Mike Scott at the four and, and slide up Horford to the five. Mm-hmm. Or when Embiid's out, you can just you could plug in Scott at the four next to Embiid, and they could plug in a million different guys. Really, most of their bench pieces are for the most part interchangeable. Uh, but Horford gives them an extra level of versatility that I never really thought about because you don't think about bringing in like a center, uh, you know, a guy who's played center for most of his career when you have Joel Embiid on the team. Uh, but you know, now that I'm thinking about it after it started to become a rumor, I do think it makes a lot of sense the idea that, okay, this guy is your backup five and your starting four, and he's gonna allow Joel Embiid to get a ton of rest. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs.
2: Yeah, and I think, I mean, we saw it in the playoffs, right? I think the stat was the Sixers were a plus 90 in the minutes Joel Embiid played and a minus 109 in the, like, the, what was it, 90 minutes he didn't play in the series or probably less than that? Yeah, he was, it, like, so essential anytime he was on the floor that, that, like, when he was off, it was just a disaster. It was, there was no stopping the dam from breaking whenever Joel Embiid sat. Bobon was no answer. Greg Monroe had, like, one stretch in game two before he fell off a cliff. They tried to mirror Johnson for a little bit. That was weird. It, it just—Jonah it, Bolden, you know, I think that ran dry pretty quickly too. And having that backup center, having, like, depth is so important. And being able to use that—if you're going to stagger your lineups, interestingly, I guess that's the way to put it with how Brett Brown does things— having a guy who can capably fill in for Joel Embiid in those soft spots of the game where he's gone is so essential, and I, I just, I really, really love the potential for the Sixers of just never having a bad center on the floor, because that was what did them in. Even in Game 7, Joel Embiid at 45-12 of, of court time, with Marc Gasol matched up, matched up against the overall 45-12 of that, was a plus 10, and they were a minus 12 in the, in the 248 that he sat, and that was the story of the series. And you can't have, like, the, the margins are so thin. You can't afford to have a nothing center out there backing up Joel Embiid because his impact is so important. And, you know, the, just the drop off is so stark. And I, I, I just I love the Horford thing there. The other thing, though, though with the Sixers is like the other weakness, I guess, in the in the postseason was the depth as a whole, right? And I think that was a problem for both teams in the series in the second round. Uh, the Raptors' depth came around against the Bucks, but it was not really there. It was like a three or four man series for the most part, and it kind of was decided because Serge Ibaka decided to show up in Game 7, which I will forever be grateful to him for. Um, But the Sixers, they didn't really go about addressing their depth, or they haven't yet, and there's still time, obviously, there's still some names out there where they could go add somebody, I'm sure, but Raul Neto doesn't really scream to me, you know, stalwart backup point guard. You lose TJ McConnell. Mike Scott's back, which is great, and he you know has a lot of value as a, as a floor spacer and whatnot. And then James Ennis, he was up and down, but he had he had a lot of ups in that second round series. After that, though, it's kind of a mystery to me. And I don't know. What do you think the plan is for filling in the rest of the roster here? Do you are, is it just like a matter of you hope Zaire Smith and Mattis Taiboul sort of you know find roles as those eighth and ninth guys? What do they do, a backup point guard? Is it just going to be Neto's job? And you hope that Josh Richardson can fill in a little bit the way Jimmy Butler did as the backup point guard in times where Simmons sat. Um, Like, what do you see as, like, the final steps to completing this roster for the 2019-20 season?
3: I think, I think it's interesting because usually when you're looking at it, how a team improved their bench, you just look at what bench players they added, which sounds kind of obvious. Yeah. But with the Sixers, you know, Grant Brown has always been big about staggering minutes. I, I appreciate the way he does it. I think it's the right call. And and he's shored up uh, backup center now with the starting power forward, Al Horford, as we talked about. Uh, Mike Scott solidifies the backup power forward minutes. You know what you're going to get with him. Uh, decent defense, somewhat versatile, great shooter. Everybody loves him. Uh, and Harris can slide and,
2: down too, right?
3: Right, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and and backup point guard, obviously Simmons is going to have the ball a lot, but when he's off the floor, I think Josh Richardson will get a chance. Uh, Neto, obviously, will get a chance. They wouldn't have signed him if they didn't want to give him a shot. Uh, Shake Milton, who the Sixers took at the end of the second round last year, was on a two-way. He just got a four-year NBA contract. It sounds like they're interested in seeing him handle the ball a little bit. I'm not sure if uh, he's going to be reliable from day one. I think he's maybe a bit of a work in progress. Um, but Zaire Smith and Matisse Thibel are the two interesting ones. Uh, both wings, a little different. Zaire roughly 6'4", 6'5". thibault is much bigger, maybe 6'8". Uh, both extremely long arms defensive oriented players, uh, Thibel, you probably want him on wings, and Zaire probably makes more sense on guards right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think if they could get one of those two just solidify themselves as a consistent, you know, defensive, defensively impactful player, uh, and then maybe you get one pickup at the trade deadline, whether that's a cheap backup point guard, or another big to solidify the rotation there, or even another wing, uh, I think they would be fairly set, especially when you get to the playoffs and rotation shorten the Sixers really their problem was that they couldn't find an 8th man against Toronto Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think they will be able to have 3 guys off their bench who they trust
2: that's a good point Uh, I guess the last question about sort of the makeup of the roster is the shooting you know J.J. Redick was so so important to the space of the offense and I think you need that when you have Joel on B you know being as post-up heavy as he is and obviously with Ben Simmons having his shooting issues uh you know having the space that JJ Redick provided just running around like a maniac the entire possession every single time down was so important and I think you know the, the dribble handoff stuff that he would run was so so vital because it's so hard to guard without that and with the the new additions, obviously Horford can space it out a little bit. He's not like an amazing shooter, a bit of a slow trigger, but like he'll take those. And you know, Richardson I think is a little bit hit and miss. Is there enough shooting on this roster for your liking? Or is there a move out there that you're you're still is there someone on the market who you're like, damn, I wish they could go get that guy right now?
3: Um, it's definitely not a comforting amount of shooting. You, losing Reddick is pretty significant. Um, keeping Harris is obviously a big deal. He didn't shoot so well with the Sixers after the trade, but he, I mean he has a long track record at this point of being a great shooter. Um, so I do think there's a chance. You know, it's been rumored that they want to bring in Kyle Korver, who's getting bought out by Phoenix after being traded for Josh Jackson. I think he would help. Maybe he plays, like, let's say 12 minutes a game and he runs around a bunch of screens. Maybe he's what Marco Bellinelli was to this team when he was here for the second half of uh, 2017 18. Um, As I said, you know, it's not like I don't look at it and I'm like, wow, this is such great shooting. But I also don't think it's a fatal flaw. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think if you can set, I think you play Ben Simmons with Al Horford as much as you can, and you play Embiid with Tobias Harris. And I think that would effectively split up shooting and and maybe non-shooting in, in Ben's case. Uh, and, you know, Richardson is not, you know, J.J. Redick, obviously, but he can take pull-up threes, he can take spot-up threes, he can run off of screens a little bit, even though that's not his primary role. You know, Mike Scott is a four spacer. Neto is not a great shooter, but he's a good shooter. Uh, so I, I, do I think there's a lot of shooting? No. I think, like, in the, in the general, you know, sphere of the NBA, they're probably... Below average in terms of shooting, but I don't think it's to the extent that like it will do them in, in a playoff series.
2: Yeah, I think those are well taken points. The man, this team's gonna be fascinating. I can't wait to actually see it all kind of come together. It's gonna They're be gonna weird. Be very weird. So weird, but like weird is good. I'm all for weird. Yeah. The Raptors were weird, they, they just won a title, so like weird can be very good. Uh As far as the standings go, it's so hard without knowing what Kawhi is going to do, obviously. I think the the consensus is that if Kawhi comes back to the Raptors, that the Raptors go in as the East favorites and probably title favorites. I don't think they'd be overwhelming favorites or anything, but I think they are favorites based on what they just did and based on the lack of a super team out there in the league. But... I don't know. What's your confidence level with the Sixers team and, like, another deep sort of inspiring finals run? You know what I mean? Like, maybe they don't make the finals, but they have the sort of same juice they had last year where they were, as we've said, like a couple weird bounces away from potentially maybe winning the whole thing. Like, I think that's that, that yeah, Buck series would have been fascinating. Tough. Like, they the, obviously the Warriors falling apart like they did in the finals, butterfly effect and all that stuff. Maybe that doesn't happen if the Sixers go there, but maybe it does, and maybe the... The, the, the Sixers are sitting here as title winners and the Raptors are looking at you know kind of blowing it all up after losing in the second round. Like, Do you see that the Sixers team having that kind of ceiling without Butler, or is it something a little bit less than that?
3: I you know, within the realm of possibility, especially because of the defense issue. You know, I don't just think, like, I think it's going to be the best defense in the NBA next year. I also be one of the better defenses of recent memory, mm-hmm. uh, you know, especially at years it locks in. I mean, he like entirely took D'Angelo Russell out of a playoff series in, in round one. You, Kawhi scored that was more about just ridiculous shot, make, a shot maker. You know, Ben guarded him fairly well. I thought it was just about Kawhi, uh, with better offense. Um, but I, I do think that their ceilings there because mainly of the defense, it's just going to be so good that, you know, like if, if Simmons can just figure it out a little bit with the jumper, not that he's going to be Kevin Durant, but if he can pull up from the elbows, make defenses just respect him a little more, if Tobias ha- has a season like he had with the Clippers before the trade, uh, if Josh Richardson can take a leap, uh, given the defensive potential I think they have, I only, I don't think that many things need to break right for the offense to be good enough to to warrant title
2: contention I'm with you I think this team is the the best non-Raptors Kawhi team in the east I, I, I do I, I think the Bucks are probably gonna take a step back I, maybe I'm wrong maybe Giannis is so good that they'll just go win 65 games next year but I think the Brogdon thing's really gonna hurt and I don't love the additions they made I think Wes Matthews is actively bad I think Brooke Lopez Robin Lopez it's cute but I also don't know what the utility I really is so. there what's that Makes sense
3: I don't think the Robin Lopez things make sense. You lose Brogdon and Miritich, both guys great shooters for their position, and then you bring in a non-shooter. That didn't make sense to me.
2: Yeah, he's kind of just like you know weird John Henson, <laughs> like, yeah, John Henson who likes comic books, and that's that's cool and fun. And I'm sure the interviews and the sound bites will be amazing, but I don't know how much I like the fit there that said, I think it's still, assuming Kawhi comes back, Raptors, Bucks, Sixers is the top three and the rest will kind of battle it out for scraps because I don't think any of the other teams got notably better. Obviously, the Nets are a year away from probably hitting what they're going to be and they'll be in that conversation in a couple years' time, but just with Kyrie and the rest of that roster, I think they're probably like the inside track team for the four seed, but I also don't find them to be particularly scary in a playoff situation. Neither do I. Yeah. Um, so glad we're in agreement on that. Fuck Brooklyn, as always. And uh, <laughs> I think we could probably leave it there. I've taken up enough of your 4th of July. Adam, thank you so much for joining the show today. Do you have anything that you'd like to plug?
0: Uh,
3: no. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Sixers Adam. Other than that, I don't really have anything doing right now.
2: Alright, man. Uh, Thank you so much as always. It was great talking to you. Again, to all the American listeners, have a great 4th of July. And I I guess if you're a listener to this podcast, you're tuning in for Kawhi stuff. Uh, We'll have Kawhi stuff when there is Kawhi stuff to talk about. I'm not gonna do a podcast about Frank Solo tweets. I'm sorry, I just can't do it. <laughs> no podcast about planes and the helicopters. Oh, we did one yesterday. Don't worry. That was that was a ah, whole to okay. do. But uh, yeah, today okay. I think I'm gonna leave like the piss Broussard tweets alone and uh, yeah. just just keep it to the Sixers for today. Uh, Adam, thank you so much for joining me, and we will talk to you soon. And uh, everyone, please subscribe, rate, review iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Himalaya please purchase we the champs on indigo amazon you can buy it in stores at indigo chapters Coles, as well in costco i also think if you want to go pick it up there i think it's cheaper at costco if you want to go pick up multiple copies uh and uh thank you to all the people who have sent very nice words about the book we the champs by myself and alex wong and uh yeah so please pick that up if you have yet to do so the commemorative book about the raptors title run all right that's gonna do it thank you so much for tuning in And we will talk to you next time, hopefully with Kawhi news, on another episode of Locked on Raptors.
3: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.